0: to the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the show from America's number 1 genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this August 2017 episode is highlights from the upcoming genealogy virtual conference being held in September 2017. We will start things off at the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane, who's going to share five ways to have the best ever virtual genealogy conference. Then in the top tip segment, we'll learn how to get the most out of the virtual conference with Vanessa, who's putting it all together. In our 101 Best Website segment, Dave Fricksell is going to be here to talk about a tried and true favorite, the Library of Congress. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, you'll get a preview with tips from Gina Ortega's virtual conference class on marriage records. And finally, over at the publisher's desk, Allison has the perfect resource to complement all that you're going to learn at the virtual conference. There's a lot to cover. So let's get started with the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. This week on the Genealogy Insider blog, Diane's got five ways to have the best ever virtual genealogy conference. Hi, Diane. Hello. Hey, Diane, when I popped over to your blog, I saw the tiger slippers and I knew I was Mm -hmm. in the right place. I love doing genealogy in my jammies. So what can we do to have an even more awesome experience?
1: Well, there are um, lots of ways and I picked my top five. I think that probably the first thing is to sort of look at the program ahead of time. Most of the conference is at your convenience. So you have access, you log in whenever you want over the weekend, and then you can watch the videos at your own pace and check on the message boards. There are a few things that happen on a schedule, though. Um, One of them is your keynote talk, which I'm looking forward to, called Big Pictures and Little Details. And then there will be expert. Q&A sessions on the message board. So that's a time when the expert will be available. So you can ask your questions and get them answered in real time. So make sure that you schedule those bits on your calendar. And then also take time zones into account. I think all the times that we give on the website are East Coast time.
0: Yes, time zones are one of the biggest challenges with everything. <laughs> at least mm-hmm.
1: for me, you know, same here.
0: Yeah, exactly. So Okay, awesome. So there's lots and lots that you can do at your own pace, but there's a couple of really great goodies that you can do where you want to schedule that time and be a part of it live, which I think is really cool. It's how that whole community comes together.
1: Yes. And so hand in hand with that, you'll want to free up some of your own time over the weekend. I have small kids, so I am um, I get lots of snacks ahead of time and they get extra tablet time. So we'll have a pizza night or I'll make a dinner ahead of time, but probably we're going to have a pizza night. <laughs> (laughs) Um, and that way I can dedicate some time to the conference and then also just watching the videos and talking to people it gets me excited about going and trying all the tips that I learned so I want to do a little bit more research over the weekend too and it all means that my kids love the virtual conference as much as I do because of all the extra treats (laughs) (laughs) treats for everybody yeah yeah um one thing that I recommend people do is log in on Friday, not necessarily to spend a long time if you don't have a lot of time that day, but just to um, check out, make sure everything's working smoothly for you. There's a technology message board where you can post if you have any issues and someone... um, We have people checking in on that quite often to make sure that everybody can get in and move around. There's also an orientation so that it just kind of shows you where all the different parts of the conference are. So just make sure you're comfortable with all that and that everything's working for you. And then I do recommend if there's a class you've been especially looking forward to watching that earlier in the conference so that you'll have time to post any questions and talk about it on the message boards.
0: Oh, that's a great idea. I mean, there's nothing worse (laughs) than getting in there the last minute and then realizing that you're, you're not connecting or you're not figuring it out. But I love the idea of watch some of those sessions that you really, you know, have on your radar so that you can participate in the, con- you know, that's taking advantage of the, the live
1: conversation part. Right. And just in case people didn't realize this, you do get to download all the videos to your computer and watch them again whenever you want to. Yes. So if you can't watch one of the videos during the conference, you will be able to watch it later. Um, My fourth tip is to play along, um, check into the message boards often, and just participate in some of the Q&As. And there's usually a brick walls board and a surname exchange. And we've actually had people find ancestors in common and get brick walls solved. So that's a lot of fun. And then finally, wear your slippers, get comfy, pajamas are just fine. <laughs> nobody cares if your hair 's done right. Um, I like to have my coffee and a snack. Just settle in for a good time and lots of lots of learning
0: awesome. hey, great ideas and we 'll have a link in the show notes over to uh, her post from July eighteenth Five ways to get the best ever virtual genealogy conference and you 'll even find a discount code there for the event. It saves you forty bucks, which is really nice. Hey, Diane, great ideas. Thank you so much. Great way You're to right kick right. off the show. Yeah. Well, in this top tip segment, I thought I'd invite the Family Tree University Dean, Vanessa Whelan, to the show to talk about the conference, kind of what is this virtual conference? How does it work? What could you expect? And I can't wait to hear more. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Lisa. I'm really excited about the conference. This is
2: always my favorite weekend, the two weekends that I do the conferences of the year, because there's just so much happening with it and so many opportunities to learn and discover new resources. The virtual conference is three days of learning and fun. You get to experience tracks on DNA, on the latest technologies research strategies ethnicities and culture anything that you can imagine that has to do with finding your ancestors we try to cover and there's always something new to learn we've got so many presenters from so many backgrounds and you're doing some presentations as well for us Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really excited to see what you have to say about Google and our time travel technology. And of course, there's also your keynote that you'll be delivering, which will be live on Sunday. And I'm really excited about that. That's going to be all about the big picture and little details.
0: Yeah, that's going to be fun. And I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it live. You know, it's neat that so many of the main classes are recorded, they can download them to get a chance to kind of get all together in one big session and do it live is going to be fun.
2: Exactly. And we have a couple of live elements. We have your keynote, of course, we also have some live q&a's that will be happening on Saturday, where people will have a chance to ask some questions on the discussion boards. And then Shannon and Gina will be each of them taking one and answering those questions live as well so that you can listen in. So I'm excited about those. And of course, with our recorded sessions, the great thing about those is that you don't have to miss a thing. You can watch all 16 videos, you don't have to try and schedule anything, you don't have any conflicts where two courses are happening at the same time. So that's the best part of that is you can choose your own schedule at your own time.
0: Exactly. And there are kind of some of the classic elements of a conference. You have swag and giveaways. Tell us about that. Oh, I'm really excited about the giveaways.
2: And these are very simple. We we have a daily drawing every day for the people who participate on our discussion boards. So we'll be having some of our books. We'll be having the cemetery book that's coming out in August. So it'll be brand new. That'll be one of our giveaways. We'll also have the Family Tree Guide to DNA Testing and Genetic Genealogy from Blaine Bettinger, and we'll have How to Archive Family Keepsakes. We'll also have a few other things happening. Um, we'll have we usually do crosswords or some kind of puzzle, and we'll have the discussion boards. So there's plenty of opportunities to find new resources to research your family history, to connect with others, and to have fun while you're at it, while you're learning all of these things.
0: Exactly. So again, it's a two-day conference. Tell us the, the dates and and how they can uh, find out more or register for the event.
2: Right. It's a three-day conference. It starts on Friday, September 15th, and it runs through Sunday night, September 17th. So you can go to FamilyTreeMagazine.com or you can go to FamilyTreeUniversity.com and get signed
0: up. Terrific, and of course we'll have a link in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. We're going to be uh, talking to others in this uh, episode, including Gina, who's one of the presenters, and she's going to give us some some sneak peek previews on tips from her marriage records class. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much, Vanessa.
2: Thank you, Lisa.
0: In today's 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Family History segment, I've invited the author of the list, David Frixel, to talk about one of really the cornerstone websites on the list, and that's the Library of Congress. Hi, Dave.
3: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: It's always good to have you here. You have cultivated such a fabulous list each and every year. and I know there's a new one coming out, but I want to talk about kind of a classic one, what I think of like a cornerstone website, and that's Library of Congress. And interestingly, I signed on today at loc.gov, and it's looking a little different these days. Tell us about the website.
3: Well, the Library of Congress website has probably been on every single Hundred one best website, even those when we just did freebies because you know the content there is free. So uh, it really has been a standby, but it's sort of like not your you know father's Library of Congress website lately. <laughs> That's true. Um, it it has it has a new look and uh, a lot of new features. It's doing a really good job of bringing I think those features up to the fore. I mean, if you look at the home page right now, you'll notice they have a new. Uh, 11,000 photos of, from their architectural curator of Roadside America. So, you know, you might find your great grandfather's barn there or something. Right. Um, they have an occupational folklore project. They even have an w- archive of web comics. And then the thing that, that they're featuring that would, of course, be of interest to genealogists, particularly, is the addition of Sanborn maps, which are maps created for insurance purposes, but you might be able to, you know, find your ancestor's house and solve census problems and all that sort of thing on there. And that's, that's a very exciting addition that before you would have to either go to a big library or pay for or whatever. So here they are free.
0: Free is the key word here. And when you get to this site, the way it's laid out currently, I really feel like they're doing a better job of really bringing you in quickly to the rich content that they have there and the vast, like you said, really wide ranging. And I think before when we go to the website, you kind of had to know what you were looking for to dig it up. And gosh, now you can really see that they touch so many areas of history and American life.
3: Well, of course, you can still search the Library of Congress catalog there. That's a very viable um, thing. And it's easy to find that. And that's useful. If it's just to see, like, are there any books about my ancestors, for example? I mean, you can search, you know, frixell family genealogy or something like that, and you, and it would pop up. So that's sort of the, you know, the, the hallmark of the site. But now if you click on digital collections, it used to be there was this thing called American Memory, and it was kind of a scrapbook of a lot of images and things like that related to American history. And that seemingly has sort of gone by the wayside now, and now they just feature digital collections of all sorts, and again, they, a lot of maps, there's Civil War maps, cities and towns maps, so it's really big on you know, map collections. And then just all kinds of things about culture, history, some of it's not very genealogical, you know, like Afghanistan web archive, but others are going to be of, you know, of an awful lot of interest.
0: Yeah. And, you know, if you still are thinking, oh, but American memory was one of my favorites, you know, you can still go to google.com and type in American memory and it'll pop up. And I, I noticed they've kind of put memory in front of the loc.gov. So the website is a bit more segmented, but I like your idea. Go to the search box and I see a drop down menu here so we can search by the type of record as well.
3: Right. Which is, you know, if you're looking for photos or if you're looking for maps, you can find them there. Of course, the other thing that is they're featuring fairly prominently in their digital collections, which again used to be sort of this whole separate thing you had to dig around to find it, is their new online newspaper collection, which is called Chronicling America, and it's got I think it's 12 million pages or something of newspapers, and again it's all free and it's searchable. So again, it's the sort of thing that in a lot of other places. A lot of other 101 best websites, even, you would have to pay to access, but here they are, you know, titles from 1690 to uh, the present. They're, they're mostly digitized from 1789 to 1924, and yeah, it's like a little over 12 million pages, and of course, it's going up all the time, and they're searchable, they're viewable, you know, you can find obituaries, You're, I found my ancestor's wedding announcement, you know, all that sort of thing, all the things you would find in uh, newspapers, this is probably the first place you should look before going to subscription sites to uh, see what they have.
0: Well, you make a great point why this really is a cornerstone page of every genealogist's research. Again, we're talking about the Library of Congress website at loc.gov. And I tell you, Dave, I went in here, I just typed FrickCell in the search box. And you better get busy. (laughs) There's a lot in here. Oh my gosh! I mean, you're not kidding. You there's audio, there's PDFs, there's images, there's books, there's newspapers. I think there must be something for all of us, don't you think?
3: Absolutely. And think what there might be with you know somebody with a not quite so uh, unusual last name. (laughs) You really have a lot of riches. It's come a long way from you know when Thomas Jefferson donated his library and got the whole thing started. I doubt he could have ever imagined. You know, the web, as inventive as he was, it could have ever imagined the website and uh, searchability and that sort of thing that that you could type in Thomas Jefferson and find, you know, a zillion different things and pictures and probably maps of Monticello and all that sort of thing all on uh, online without, you know, all in your pajamas.
0: I imagine he would have been ecstatic to think his collection and all the ones coming forward through time are coming to us to our homes. That's just amazing, because this is a big country. You can't always get to the Washington, D.C. area. And certainly, they've got riches for those of you who are listening around the world as well. Australia, Canada, Britain, there are items here that could touch your history as well. Dave, always so fun to talk to you. I will look forward to talking to you again. Thank you.
3: Thanks a bunch.
0: In this Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I want to give you a preview of one of the many terrific classes that you're going to be enjoying in the virtual conference. So I've invited conference moderator and instructor, Gina Ortega, to share some tips from her class on marriage records.
4: Hi, Gina. Hi, Lisa. How are you today? I'm doing great.
0: It's always good to talk to you. I know that people think they hear marriage records and they think, oh, well, I got those. You know, it's pretty straightforward, but they're very unique and they are varied, aren't they?
4: They are. You know, when I hear the word marriage record, that's kind of a generic term. What does that mean? Yeah. And actually, it depends on the place and the time period that that marriage record is going to be very different. So, for example, you know, there were marriage bans and marriage bonds, and that's going to be very different than a marriage license. And so... I think the other thing that comes to mind is, is the term marriage certificate. You know, I hear people say that all the time, but there really are different kinds of marriage certificates. For example, there's the certificate that a government authority issues, like a county recorder's office, for example, and then there's a decorative marriage certificate that you may be given by the minister. And you might hang that up at your house, but that's not an official document.
0: Right. And there's documents that get created in the process of getting married, like the application for the license, all that kind of thing.
4: There is. So it's important that when you think of marriage record, that you really think about what's available in the place I'm researching for the time period I'm researching.
0: Well, and that brings us to how to find them. Exactly. So what's the approach? Where, where do you start if you're not sure how it works in the jurisdiction that
4: you're working in? There's a few ways that you can kind of start this. One is, you know, a resource that we don't use as much anymore is the Red Book. And the Red Book is available on Ancestry's Wiki. So you can just Google Ancestry Wiki, and then you'll see Red Book. And that gives you the date when marriage records started for that particular county in that state. And that might be helpful for you to know when did things start. It also provides some of that background information on vital records that could be also helpful. So definitely learning a little bit about the area. Now, record-wise, I would start with family search. And I would do a catalog search for either the state and or the county that the person was married in and then scroll down to the subject heading vital record and see what marriage records are available
0: that's a great way to get kind of a big overview and zero in on your location because yeah family search is going to lay it all out there for you
4: they are and you know so in some cases that's going to be on a state level you might find something different than you would on a county level mm-hmm. sometimes for example um states required marriage records at a later date than a county did so that's a good place to see what's available from family search and then from there you can also check places like subscription websites. You can even check link websites, portals like Cindy's List or Linkpendium to further see what's available online, both for free, but also fee-based.
0: Exactly. And then, of course, we can always get in touch with the county clerk's office. I would imagine on how far back they go. Do the marriage records get archived at the state level the way sometimes birth records do?
4: Sure. So, And they might even be on a county archive. So it matters where you're researching and what the time period is. So you can definitely look at both a county or state archive for records as well.
0: You mentioned there's the decorative, there's the governmental, there's the church marriage records as well. What's your approach to those?
4: You know, sometimes people don't know the religion their ancestor was. And if you do know, there might have been special rules for getting married or special places for getting married. So that you have to keep into consideration. One of the examples I give in these slides is the matrimonial investigation records the Catholic Church did. And those aren't something that would be available for all Catholic records. It's a specific time and place, but that just kind of goes to show that, depending on the religion, there might be additional records. And you got to remember that religious organizations are also going to have archives. And so that information might be stored at a church archive, like an archdiocese archive.
0: Right. And of course, oftentimes the best place to start is at home. You never know what's been passed down the generations. But what happens if we just can't get our hands on the marriage record that we're looking for? I know you touch on alternatives, and I'd love to have you share that a bit now.
4: I think what's important to remember about any vital record is there are alternative sources that might be helpful. And for marriage records, we're looking for things like newspapers. And I'm not just talking about engagement notices, which we would be more familiar with. What I'm talking about are things like even anniversary articles. Maybe the couple was married for 25 or 50 or longer years. Those kinds of special interest articles get in the newspaper and tell you information about the original wedding. So there's that, there's also just notices about a marriage. Obviously, if things didn't work out, (laughs) there can also be notices about a divorce as well. Other things to consider is that the census, that's the one source, that's our go-to source, right, that we all start with. And the census provides some information in various years about marriage. So for example, in 1930, you get when was the age at first marriage? So make sure to take a look at the census. You know, probably one of the surprising alternatives that people don't think about is Percy, mm. the Periodical Source Index, and that is available through subscription site, Find My Past, and you can access that at a family history center. And... You know, you would be surprised at what has been published in genealogy and history journals and magazines about marriages. You know, sometimes there's indexes to county marriages. Sometimes I found really interesting things, like people from Wisconsin married in California for a specific year, for example. So. I would do a search on Percy, and I would search for the place that you think they were married, the county and the state, and see what might be available that you had not ever considered before.
0: And Gina, you've just made the point as to why your class and so many of the classes in the virtual conference coming up are so amazing, because there's so much more to it, right? Then at first blush, it just looks kind of simple and straightforward, but it's those those families that where we just get stuck, and you really have to know the history. And you have to know what your alternatives are. I think this is uh, great advice.
4: Thank you. I you know what, I agree. Because if you know where else to turn to, that can open up so many more possibilities. uh, When you are stuck, or you have that brick wall, or you're researching in an area where the records don't exist anymore or, you know, it's really early on, and you're just not sure. So yeah, you always need to think about what other records might document this information for me.
0: Well, I love it. I'm looking forward to watching the entire video on marriage records. Thank you, Gina, for sharing all these great tips right here on the podcast. Well, I hope you've been enjoying this entire episode devoted to the upcoming virtual conference and some of the highlights and tips and tricks and ways to get more out of it. And hopefully that will have generated an awful lot of leads and new wonderful genealogy finds for you. Here with a great resource of what to do with those finds is Allison Dolan. Our publishers, so let's check in at the publishers' desk. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. So they're all raring to go to attend the virtual conference and have already picked up lots of tips and ideas right here in this episode. And you've got a resource for us, right, to uh, help make the most out of those.
5: Absolutely. So I have a confession to make, though. First, I am not a person who loves source documentation. I have a feeling that some of you in our audience are like me. <laughs> sort of documentation is not your favorite part of doing genealogy. It is, of course, critically important so that we can all really keep track of what we've looked at, what we haven't looked at, where did the information come from, judge the reliability and all of that. So, of course, it's a very important process to undergo, but it is not the same level of joy for me as the thrill of the hunt and looking for the ancestors. So we have this resource called the Source Citation Cheat Sheet, and we developed this for people like me and some of you (laughs) who uh, really just are looking for a good, quick reference to the source citation process and examples so that you can do this process much more effectively and efficiently and spend more time doing research and less time documenting your finds.
0: I agree and I'm sure many people are going, Yep, that's me as they're listening. This is pretty cool because it's got lots of little breakout boxes. Could there be this much, even in only a cheat sheet, to source citation? What do you think?
5: Well, so that's really what I love about this is all of the little quick reference, at a glance elements to it, right? So, going back to when we were all in school, we had to do this, right? When we made bibliographies. And every source citation really just has some common components. And I think my favorite part of the cheat sheet is where it breaks the process down into a flowchart of six steps and really drills it down for you. And then that is followed by two pages of example citations for lots of different record types. And that's a quick cheat, really, to if you're looking at a particular record type, you can just quickly find the example that looks similar to the record that you're looking at and format your source citation according to that format. The format that we've modeled after is the citation style from Evidence Explained, which is, of course, the definitive resource on this subject by Elizabeth Schoen-Mills. And so it's a good, quick guide to the format that I think most genealogists use and is best accepted within the field.
0: Exactly. And it's all at your fingertips. So it's it kind of makes it a lot easier. I know just having it sitting here on the desk, you can jump to it and find the type of record that you're trying to cite, because each record has its kind of own little nuances. And I love that it's all here in one quick reference place. So I'll have a link in the show notes for you to the quick reference guide, as well as to a nice handy paperback book. It's Evidence by Elizabeth Schoen-Mills, Citation and Analysis for the Family Historian. It takes it even further, but nothing like having that quick sheet right there by your keyboard so you make sure that you cite each and every glorious find and discovery that you make in your genealogy research. Thanks so much, Allison. We're all looking forward to the virtual conference. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next month.
5: Sounds good. I look forward to seeing everyone at the conference too.
0: Thanks so much for joining me for this August 2017 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Head to familytremagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode. And those will include the link to this year's virtual conference. And I'll see you there in class and also at the live keynote event on Sunday, September 17th, 2017. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, The Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes. And we do have an app for that. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.